now the cleanest hour in podcasting with your host, Ralph Peterson. This is the Housekeepers Podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Housekeepers Podcast. Dare I say the cleanest hour in podcasting. This is going to be a super fun show, very fast show, because I have on a former Marine, Mr. Michael Fitz. How you doing, Michael? Hey, good to see you, Ralph. How are you? I'm doing really well. Thank you so much for being on the show. You're the Senior Vice President or Executive Vice President of 4M Building Solutions, which is pretty fantastic, and, of course, a fellow Marine, so Semper Fi to you. Thank you, sir. Appreciate Thank it. Yeah, no, thanks for having me on. I'm really looking forward to it. I, I think we're going to have a great conversation. Me too. I'm excited to... How long did you spend in the Corps? 24 years. And um, how many floors did you strip while you were in the Marine Corps? Actually, more than you think. <laughs> no, I, I think that's probably a lot, actually. That's right. All right, right out the gun. I mean, everybody thinks, you know, the first thing you learn how to be as a Marine is a janitor. That's right. Because you have to learn how to field day or detail clean. Every inch of every square inch of your squad bay that you live in with 50 other guys that are filthy and nasty. That's right. And I remember literally we'd have to do drills. We moved all the furniture to one half of the squad bay. <laughs> and then I would literally take Canuba wax built for cars, light it on fire, melt it down, tap it out, spread it all over the floor, and then take a side-by-side machine or a low-speed burnisher, put a wool blanket underneath it and polish out the floor and had to make it shine. I distinctly remember more than once sending the machine launching across the squad bay into the wall, uh, <laughs> learning how to do it. So yeah. And I know how to clean toilets very well. When I went to boot camp, you know, there's a couple of parts when you get towards the end of boot camp, I was enlisted. And at the end of boot camp, towards the end, of course, we're doing cleaning, of course, but then we're also we're having to sew. And you would not think for a million years you're going to join the Marine Corps the world's most elite fighting force. And you're going to like, where's the needle and threat? Like, how is that possible? Oh, I know. But I found myself having to show other recruits, other, other Marines, how to sew and how to clean. Like they didn't know the first thing about cleaning. I had been cleaning since I was 15, you know, cleaning commercially. Right, 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 right. right. <laughs> no, it's, it's funny. You never forget when you get your packing list for everything you're going to go into deployment with in that somewhere in the top of it is your sewing kit. You know, you're like, <laughs> All right. It is what it is. It is what it is. All part of the game. So, but the the Marine Corps taught me so much. A lot of people say, "Hey, thank you and thank you for your service, Ralph." You know, and as a Marine, I say I got way more than I ever put in. I, I learned so much through those experiences on leadership, the fundamentals of hard work, and quite frankly, what I think is the mental game of being successful. Where you and I both know that that the word surrender doesn't exist in the Marine Corps vocabulary. And, you know, it's all about will and just trying to find a way. And where there's a will, there's a way. Absolutely. I can't think of the guy's name, but he wrote a book and he wasn't in the Marine Corps. I think it was in the Army, but he wrote a book. He was a Green Beret, so he's Special Forces. And he wrote a book. And I think the title of the book is Thank You for My Service. And his whole point is how much, you know, everyone's like, thank you for your service. He's like, forget. Do you have any idea how better off I am because I went through that experience? You know, Right. Right. No, it's so true. And then as you have been come in your own business, you're very, very successful. And I really appreciate the opportunity to be here on with you. And it's, it's my joy and my privilege. You find out when you transition out of the place, it's one of the most, it's one of the best places to have a real world education on leadership that quite frankly, the corporate America just does not appreciate your average veteran and what they can bring to your team. And it's just one of the best places to look for sources of talent, and the critical thinking skills and judgment and being able to take responsibility and be able to take personal accountability for what you've been assigned. I mean, those are fundamental things that every organization is looking for. And particularly regardless of the service, I mean, that's boot camp 101. The day you stand on the yellow footprints, as we would say in the Marine Corps, the first time that's when you learn personal accountability and what it means that, you know, you're expected to perform and there are people counting on you to do your job. And so it's it's an amazing experience. You know what's what's interesting? And I really want to get into where you came from, where you grew up and all that. I'm super interested in all that. But one thing we were talking about before we went on the air is we were talking about how I said, you know, I think our main job now is to eat crow, right? And I was being a little flip with it. But I'll tell you, 
humility is that's what you first learn in the Marine Corps Absolutely. is to get over yourself. Yeah. My ability to get over myself mm-hmm. is the foundational reason why I'm any success at all. No, it's so true. I, you know, Ralph, one of the first things when people ask me, they go, okay, say, hey, Mike, you're a Marine for 24 years. The next question that they're afraid of ask is, where did you go? And so I usually, you know, okay, I, I got, I did two tours in Afghanistan. I did one in Iraq. I did one in Africa. I did three in the Pacific uh, through various deployments. And the first, one of the things I'll never forget, I had a, I, I had a few ditties or colloquialisms that I put outside of my bulletin board, right outside of my office. And it said, if you're standing here, read this. And it was just my way of kind of reinforcing some cultures in my organization. And at the very top of it was the why drives the what. Like in the Marine Corps, we everything we do, there is a purpose to it. It's not just because we want you to do something. There is a purpose to what we do from the way you lace your boots to the way you wear your uniform. You know it as well as I do. There is everything. And the very next one was that hubris and complacency are corrosive attributes that don't belong in any organization. Because if you're if you think you're that good, there's always somebody better. And if you if you get so complacent in your and you think your SOP and your competitive advantage is always going to be there, there's somebody that's going to come in and, and do better. And Really what that means is you have to be confident. And I think confidence comes from humility, knowing what you're good at, knowing your strengths and weaknesses, reinforcing the strengths and mitigating the weaknesses. And that's tactics 101 in the core. And you learn that. And I really got to see that out in Afghanistan and other places where you will, it's not if, but when you will find something that is a compelling challenge that, man, it's just going to break you down. And then you really have, you know, I think then that's when you really learn who your organization is and who you are. And you got one or two choices. You can either crumble or you can figure out a way to succeed. Yeah, a million percent. You know, one thing that the core did not prepare me for, I got to be honest with you, it's a big transition problem. When I got out of the Marine Corps, I had no idea what a no call, no show was. Anyway, House Cares podcast. <laughs> uh, yeah, that, it's called UA, man. But that was easy in the Marine Corps. We just arrest you. You know, yeah. we go find you, yeah, put you much. in jail. Pretty much. Right? Yeah. I mean, exactly. you, I, exactly. I, tried to, I tried to find handcuffs in my first housekeeping job outside of the Marine Corps. And they're like, well, you don't get handcuffs. I'm like, this job sucks. <laughs> you, you don't get handcuffs. <laughs> I got a couple of zip ties. Yeah. We're, we're, yeah. Oh, we can go off and your listeners <laughs> be like, what are they talking about? I'm going to stop. Uh, Oh, All right, so you're in. You're in St. Louis. So you're from. You live in St. Louis. Where yeah. are you right this second? Are you in St. Louis? Where no, are you? I'm, hotel? I'm out visiting some of our clients over in Columbus, Ohio. Ohio, and, very nice. Large corporate client here, and but I got to St. Louis. So I grew up in Texas. I'm a West Texas guy. And did you? live in Texas like all your growing up like I did I did I, how was that Texas, out in El Paso Texas how was growing up in El Paso well it was El Paso you know I'm an honorary Mexican and I don't mean that in a despairing way I mean I grew up on the border and I have a great appreciation I think it was one of the things that taught me about how to embrace diversity and culture and one of the reasons I think I probably wound up in the Marine Corps because I wanted to see the world to experience other cultures and a more diverse organization. And it was great. I mean, I grew up with rattlesnakes, scorpions, and armadillos. I mean, what can you say? I mean, you know, and along the Rio Grande River. So there's a David Spade, you know, the great comedian yeah. actor. He has this great story about how his mom, his mom was a single mother. And so she would drop her her two boys off in the in the desert, like four or five hours away from their house. And they would find their way back, you know, <laughs> packed with a sandwich and a <laughs> bottle of water. And they would, you know, with BB guns and just shooting yeah. stuff. And yeah. Just, so West Texas was great. And kind of I, sounds like the same vibe, though, no? Yeah, kind of. You know, on top of it, this really, everybody really, get, when they get to know me, they go, oh, this explains a lot. My dad was a psychologist and my mother was a special education teacher working with juveniles. And I basically say, hey, you know, the truth is, is it didn't work out so well. So. I had to go to the Marine Corps. Uh, <laughs> you know, I was their, I was their model student and patient. Are you the, Are you an only child? No, I've got a younger brother that's five years younger than me, and quite frankly, one of my heroes, just an amazing man. Oh, great, very cool. Great man. Go ahead. When did you 
did you always know that you wanted to be a warrior? Like, were you playing, you know, cops and robbers? Uh, were you, what were you doing as a kid? Like, were you playing army? Were you? Yeah, I was a typical, you know, well, so I think I always really sought my independence and, you know, and kind of wanted to always be my own man. I always kind of knew that, that that was the case. And the military early on was a way to do that, I think. I had really always kind of wanted to be a pilot. Turns out I got bad eyes. I'm not wearing my, my glasses right now, but I got bad eyes. wasn't going to do that. So I remember, of course, I was a kid, and you probably remember the movie Top Gun. Who didn't want to go be Maverick, right? I mean, so originally went to the Navy recruiter to look into being a pilot. No, that's going to work. But, hey, we can put you on subs. Yeah, no, I'm not going to get in there. No, that's not happening. So ultimately, I went off to college and truthfully just wasn't prepared for it. I was immature, not ready for that level of responsibility. I, I did a couple of years floundering and knew that it just, quite frankly, I just felt like I let my family down in some regard and just felt like I needed to find my way. And so stood in front of the recruiting stations and, well, don't really want to go to the Army. Definitely don't want to go to the Air Force. The Navy's going to want to put me on subs. So I always know that I knew the Marines were the best. And I walked through the door and two weeks later, I was at boot camp and I was uh, I enlisted as a private. Wow. What did you go to? So you must have went to 29 Palms. You must have went to California. Uh, well, I went to Marine Corps Recruiting Depot in San Diego in yeah. May of 1993 and then did four years enlisted. And then I became an officer. Cool. Then did another 20 years and then. My last tour was being stationed as a regional commander out of St. Louis, kind of representing the Marine Corps for the state of Missouri, and then a large organization through the Southeast. And that's what brought me to St. Louis. At that point, I was entrenched. My family was. I've been married for 21 years to the same lady I met in San Diego. We have beautiful, identical twin daughters that are 17, about to turn 18, that are seniors in high school. And we knew they were in middle school. So we're like, well, we didn't want to, we wanted to have roots and be able to have the middle school, high school experience. And so we just. Yeah, it's tough to move at that point, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, those, the truth is, is the families bear the burden of the military life. My wife and my children, my wife is, I feel like I'm a good man, but there is a better woman behind me. And she really held the family together, allowed me to go do the stuff that was fun for me. You know, being a Marine, getting deployed, that's, that's what we do. She had to be the one to keep the home fires burning, keep life normal. And the entire time wondering if she was going to get a call or somebody show up at her doorstep. Mm. And uh, so I have all the respect for our military families that are out there because they're the ones that really deserve the credit for the success of our military. They definitely have the crappy job because, as you say, being a Marine is a pretty fun job. It's uh it is fun. It is a, there are times when you have to embrace the suck, of course, but it's a it's a fun job. And everybody's gonna be like, are these guys talking gibberish? You're I know hearing a conversation nobody else knows about. I know, I know. Every time I try like, so what is it really like to be in the Marine Corps? I'm like, it's like Boy Scouts with guns. Imagine going hunting, yeah. going camping and then Pretty shooting much. stuff. Pretty <laughs> much. We have fun. We have fun. You, you dig a hole and you sleep in it. It's not that terrible, really. No, it's really not. It's, it's really not that terrible. What did you do for what did you do for fun for, for work? Did you play sports as a kid? Did you work as a kid? Yeah, I always had a work ethic. So I played soccer, football, wrestled, just kind of, you know, different sports. Kind of all year round, yeah. Yeah, true story. I also played golf growing up my entire life. And this is not really a sport. Can we agree? I, I don't know, man. I'll take it. <laughs> just messing with you. <laughs> it's a passion. It's not a sport, it's a passion. I'm just messing so, with you. I, I'm like, all right, dad, I'm going to make a run at the golf team. He's like, all right, son, whatever you want to do. So I'm going to go into my freshman year at high school. I'm practicing every day out of the, you know, practice, practice, practice. And I'm getting ready to go. And then I meet a young lady and she joined the swim team. So four years later, I was a four-year letterman on the swim team. <laughs> Isn't that how it goes? Oh, yeah. And, you know, my dad, what happened to golf, son? I said, I don't know, dad. I don't know. You know. But I tell you the thing, one of the things that really shaped me, and, and I'll never forget it, and I tell this a lot, I have a really strong work ethic that's only been fomented by my experiences in the Marine Corps. When I was 15- Where'd that come from? Where'd that yeah, come from? Yeah, yeah. So my mother, 
when I was 15 years old, basically said, all right, son, you're going to learn how to work. And she went to our neighbor and said, hey, my son's going to cut your grass. And so one morning I got woken up, got kicked out of bed, grabbed the lawnmower. She took me over. She showed me how to cut. And we were just talking about landscaping before the visit, mm. before we got on. And I started cutting my neighbor's grass. And I'd, I'd zip through it real quick. And I'd be, all right, mom, I'm done. She's like, no, you're not. Get, and I had, did not have to get the edge route and trim the grass and, you know, do all this stuff. Okay, I'm done. No, you're not. Then you got to sweep it, blow it, you know, bag it, all that kind of stuff. Okay, I'm done. No, you're not. Then we'd have to go to the flower beds. <laughs> and, and, it, and it got to a point where, like, you know, two hours later, the lawn is just immaculate. And if it weren't for my mother teaching me the work ethic, you know, like, you, whatever standards you set for yourself is the one that you're going to accomplish. And my mom taught me like, son, just keep going. Don't stop. You can always make it better. And that takes hard work. And before I knew it, by the end of the summer, I had about seven or eight lawns. And then the following summer, I was up to about 15 lawns and I was doing them all in, in one day. And I almost started my own landscaping business in high school because I had all, I just couldn't, but I couldn't do it. And hindsight 2020, I think I probably could have retired early at this point had I started it. But anyway, it was, I, I'll never give, I can never give my mother enough credit for just teaching me a work ethic and, you know, pushing hard and that accomplishing something takes hard work. You know, it's funny. My mom got me my first job too. Really? And she got, well, she, it was cleaning the high school. Mm. But they had like this, uh, the town that I lived in had like a work program for mm -hmm. 14, 15 year olds. So when you're going from eighth to ninth grade that summer, you could start work with permission from your parent. And my mom brought me home all the paperwork. She's like, you're going to get, you know, pick one of these jobs. And I'm like, yeah. I'll do the cleaning. She's like, all right, you know, kid picks cleaning. <laughs> I could have been on the road crew, but I'm like, nah, cleaning sounds good. <laughs> been doing it ever since. I don't know. It's, it's quirky. It is. Well, you know, I'm, it's all about influences and coaching and being susceptible to coaching. I can tell you, I was extremely resistant. Like, you know, I was not happy and I'm just glad that she had the strength of character to, you know, not, let, not just say, Oh, it's okay, son. It's all, it's all right. Don't worry about it. No, she, yeah. She you know, what's funny is, uh, so that job naturally ended. Like I didn't quit, get fired. It was just mm -hmm. a summer job mm -hmm. and it ended mm -hmm. when school started. Then my next job was, my mother helped me get another job and I didn't like it and I wanted to quit and she wouldn't let me. Right. She was like, we don't quit. I was like, right. we don't? I, right. uh, news to me. Why not? Right. We don't right. like doing right. something. You know, I mean, in the, what, it's thank not God a, for mothers, right, Michael? Thank God for mothers. Thank God for mothers. I, I, it's definitely not a parenting show because I'm not somebody, my wife, maybe not me, but I mean, but it does come back to uh, you, there, are, there are a handful of experiences, whether for me personally, whether it's my faith, my family, my friends, you know, work environment like the Marine Corps. There's not a single original thought or something or someone that hasn't molded me into who I am today and just couldn't be more grateful. Right. You know, it's it's about the, the journey, you know, I mean, in a lot of ways. And I'm just I've been really, really lucky, Rob. Really. lucky. So you seem to have a pretty great upbringing, pretty normal. Yeah. Mom yeah. and dad both yeah. working, younger brother yeah. growing up in Texas, yeah. and then yeah. you join the Marine Corps. Here's the big question. Mm -hmm. How do you get a cleaning job coming out of the Marine Corps of all the jobs listed? And yeah. I've been through the, ex, you know, through the yeah. process of leaving the Corps. Yeah. yeah, and it's funny. So in the Marine Corps, I think you, you realize there's a life expiration date on you. You know, like eventually you're going to get out of the Marine Corps, you got to retire. And so while I was working full time, raising a family, I went back to school through adult education and spent about eight years finishing some undergraduate, got a couple master's degrees, business degrees, and just prepared myself best for an exit strategy. And when I went to exit from the Marine Corps, I went to a very good friend of mine. There you go again, another guy, another good guy. And I said, hey, how do I transition? And he goes, Mike, it's pretty simple. Never ask for a job. Just ask for people's advice. Everybody will give you advice. So you need to have a goal, goal setting again. You want to have two coffees a week. And the purpose is you want to seek their advice on how to transition. Talk to them about what you're passionate about and get their advice on what you should do. And then 
walk away with two names. Just walk away with two names. And I did that for over a year, built kind of a who's who list of CEOs, COOs, senior VPs of HR in Fortune 100, Fortune 500, and you know movers and shakers in St. Louis. And I was very successful to the point that I was not afraid. I was humble enough to follow every breadcrumb. So I met a gentleman and he invited me to go do some upland hunting. That's, you know, birds and bird dogs and, you know, that kind of stuff. So I go out with him and I show up and I take some of my fellow Marines. And there's another gentleman there who wants to tag along. I don't I don't know these gentlemen very much. I think we got invited out. They want to show appreciation for our service. And I was prepared to pay. And this other gentleman goes, hey, I've got it. I'll pay for it. Well, I thanked him, of course. And I said, hey, you know, this is more of a personal thing. And I'm just kind of an old West Texas guy. I'm going to invite you back out and I'm going to return the favor. And he agreed. Well, then I went to transition and I and I reached out to this gentleman and said, hey, you know, he owned a large 3PL, large third party logistics company, trucking company really deep pockets, a mover and shaker behind the scenes, old money. And I said, I'm transitioning. Can I get your advice? So he sat down with me and goes, well, Mike, I I don't really have a position for you in my company, but let me think about it. I get back to you. One of his close friends that I grew up with was a guy named Tim Merch, who owns Foreign Building Solutions. I met Tim. We went to breakfast. Tim was just being nice to a transitioning military officer, didn't know me. We sat down Two days later, he called me and goes, Mike, I don't know how we're going to do this, but I want you on my team. Very cool. What was funny is there was no really kind of commitment at that point. And so I kept doing interviewing. And at one point I had, oh, if you talk to Tim Merch, which he's been on your show, we courted for about eight, nine months, <laughs> trying to figure out what was going to happen. Went through a serious battery of tests. But what, one of the things I appreciate is I really got to know Tim. And I really got to know the culture of Forum. And it came down to a decision point. I had about five offers on the table, literally. And I chose to go to Forum because of advice I had received. Mike, never chase the money. Chase a job that is going to allow you to be passionate about what you do. And it's always about culture. It's always about where you can thrive. The money will come. Do what you love and do it where you love to do it. And I just really felt that Forum was a home for me. And I was grateful for the opportunity. And quite frankly, it's the best, one of the best moves I've made in my entire life. And you never questioned that it was cleaning, that it was a cleaning company, a cleaning industry. It never bothered you. You never had second thoughts. You didn't worry about what your friends were going to think or say, or your old Marine Corps buddies to learn that you took a housekeeping position somewhere. Yeah. So I'm sitting here going, no, no, no. But the truth is, is yes, yes, yes. I mean, it's not sexy, but now you're asking a guy that's been doing it for almost five years. And what's more relevant today than providing a safe and health work environment for corporate America and, and your community and your family and your friends? What we do is irreplaceable. I don't think we've got nearly the credit. The industry's got nearly the credit that it's deserving for the current COVID pandemic and post, well, the current environment that we're operating in. I just even haven't begun to get it. No, I agree. And I think that's probably going to be a long time coming, you know, just because the political environment is such that we're still in the, and I'm not speaking anything other than to say that there currently isn't being any credit given to anyone about anything. But I think that you're right. Mm -hmm. I think when it all shakes out, you're going to see the environmental side of healthcare has done an incredible job of disinfecting, of staffing, of staying on top of, of yep. listening, of learning, yep. of retrying, yep. of being creative. And yep. so your point is extremely well made with me. I completely agree with you. The one place that I, not to push back, but the one place that I just wonder if it, if it holds a little bit of water is, you know, you said early on when growing up, You really just wanted to be your own person and make your own choices and stand on your own two feet. And I think what happened, because I think we have a similar story. Mm, Very much. Where I graduated with my second bachelor's degree. I didn't even graduate. I was like, I was weeks away from graduate, like actually walking Mm -hmm. across to get to my second bachelor's degree. 
And I got a call from some random person who saw my resume on monster.com. So that's how many eons ago it was. And they were recruiting for somebody who has experience managing and who, you know, mm -hmm. this company's growing by leaps and bounds. And we're looking for mm -hmm. people who can grow with us and who can, you know, make decisions. They talked all completely talked my language, all mm -hmm. about leadership, all about mm -hmm. management, all about promoting people from within and, you know, all that stuff. Yeah. I was 100% committed to this job before I knew that it was housekeeping. Cause like we're hanging up and he goes, right. Oh, by the way, as if it didn't matter. Oh, by the way, right. It's, we work in the cleaning industry and he says, but that doesn't matter. Does it? And I wanted it to matter. Like it was a little bit in me. I was kind of like, I wanted to go like, what are the other people going to think? I'm just graduating my second bachelor's degree. And this is unheard of who, you know, cause I started out in cleaning and could you imagine me taking a cleaning job after doing all this work? And, but honestly, it didn't matter to me. I was, it was actually more of a reason to say yes. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so, and I fear maybe, yeah. or I feel maybe that's the same with you. Maybe you well, had that. Yeah. There's part of it. I can tell you, you know, you said you were talking, thinking a little, thinking a little bit more about really what, there's always, you're always learning, you know, about yourself and what motivates you and this kind of stuff. And and here I am completely transforming myself, starting a second career in my early forties. And, you know, I think I, here's what, here's what matters to me, serving people and being in a people business. And that's what I do every day. I'm in a people business. I'm in a partnership with my customers. I'm part of a team. I remember somebody asking me, Mike, do you want to be worried about white collar problems or you'd be worried about, you know, low collar problems? And this was a guy that one of these really well connected guys, a lot of money that I was meeting with. And, and I and I went, walked away from that going like my entire life has been about serving somebody at the front line of the Marine Corps. It's about I'm a people person. I believe in servant leadership. You and I've had that conversation before in what motivates me every day is building an environment that allows people to be the best versions of themselves, be a part of a team. And who cares it, what the widget or what we do? It's about the culture and cleaning for the record is an honorable way to make a living just like anything else. And I really, for me, it's about the people. And I'm glad that I'm in a service industry. So it does help that Tim allows me to to have a great deal of autonomy in his business and I get to shape and build teams and accomplish things. And that's how I kind of self-actualize. So yeah, it's a good fit in that regard, but I don't think I'd want to do anything else but be around people. I, yeah, I, that's really great. Yeah. I agree. I love the industry. I've been in love with this industry since I started when I was 15. Mm -hmm. And for me, it's it's really because I've always kind of felt like you can do two things in this in this industry. You can hide in it, which is always nice because people underestimate you, right? Because you're just a housekeeper or just a cleaner. I like yep. that. Yep. And you can surprise people, which I like. Yep. Because wait, I thought he was just a housekeeper. You know, right. I mean, my moniker is the housekeeper. I got that nickname when I was 15 and it wasn't right. a compliment, you know. <laughs> right, right. No, it's well said. Very well said. And, but, you know, I, I think you say that about anything, any occupation, but, I, you know, it's just it's a unique experience, one that I wish that more people had. We use the word humility before there are a lot. It, it, you know, mo if you're depending on the nature of where you're at in our industry, a lot of the people that come to work for us are because they need to, not because they want to. Agreed. And so we, we talk about anybody that walks through our door treating with dignity, decency and respect covered in gratitude. We're grateful that they're there. We, we want to make them part of our family, give them a culture to thrive, a kind of a no-nonsense. A lot of people are wanting to show up, do their job, and go home back to their families. I, I think it's just a great way to serve and, and serve our community and serve our team. So I, I just love it. I don't know what else to say. I mean, sometimes you just find what you enjoy doing and, you know, yeah, we're sick that way. I'm a housekeeper. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I, I agree. It's super great. It, it's great to meet somebody who who has a similar background and came into the cleaning industry with yeah. their eyes wide open yeah. and embraced it. You know, yeah. just like, yeah, all right, let's let's yeah. do it. And yeah. you know what else? We're having such a staffing crisis right now. And I've been in the cleaning industry a little bit longer than you have. Yep. But I got to tell you, I've always been short staffed. 
I've mm-hmm. this is not something new. It's mm-hmm. always been there. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that I think has helped me during the last 20 months mm-hmm. is my expectation of employees is way different than traditional employers. Traditional employers think they hire somebody and they stay and they can rely on them and they're going to I hire somebody and I'm hope I'm thankful they get through the day. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Did we get a full day? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Right, 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 right. Exactly. And when you when you work in that environment, what what happens is you begin to understand and practice, for the most part, the idea that you want people to not be with you for a long time, but be with you for a good time. Like, I appreciate this isn't your business. You haven't chosen cleaning as your industry, your what you want to do for a living. But what I want you to do is when you hear of somebody else saying, hey, so-and-so, my friend, my son, my daughter, whatever, needs a job, you go, you know what? Ralph is a pretty good guy to work for. It's it's crappy work. It's cleaning, but he's a good guy. He's a good company to work with. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's the long game that took me a while to figure out, but I think it speaks right to what you're talking about with culture. Like that's that's exactly what you get when you're focusing on culture. Yeah. You know, funny, we were talking about the Marine Corps earlier. I, you know, one of the experiences you learn in combat is it's a scarcity, it's a resource game. It's managing scarcity of resources and doing more with less and learning how to prioritize and apply the scarce resources you have to deliver the highest bang for the buck, right? That's what we do every night in a building because you're never going to be fully staffed. You've always got staffing challenges. So how do you enable critical thinking skills and time management skills and allow that team to come together and get stuff done? And one of the things I couldn't agree with you more is if we, I try and build a stable nucleus or core to my labor team, right? There are some people that that's the backbone, that's the foundation, right? If I have a core group, If nobody else shows up tonight, we can get the job done. Is it painful? Yes. But will they get it done? Yes. And I treat those people like gold. Treat them like gold. Take care of them. Show the value. Appreciate them. Give them the recognition. And the idea is, like I think right now in our company, we have a pretty good percentage, you know, greater than 60% of our team of, you know, roughly about 4,000 employees that have been with us over a year. I didn't say 10. I didn't say 20. I'm over a year. It's pretty decent. Yeah. It's it's a great stat. Yeah. I think that speaks to our culture. And I think when people think that culture doesn't matter, you know, in the service industry, it absolutely does. Well, I'm churning just like everybody else is on the other 40% right now. I mean, it's four or five to one, you know, the, the difficulty is. Well, our, my mental goal or our mental goal right now is how do we take it from 60 to 75? How do I get the nucleus just a little bit? You know, how do I expand that a little bit? But to your point, have contingencies, be prepared and, you know, and never forget the people that are getting it done for you. But there are staffing strategies. Not everybody's the same. There's not one technique that crafts it all. But yeah, your expectations of what is a long-term employee are probably changing. I think we're moving yeah. into... You've probably been in a kind of working in a part time economy for a while now, where most of, if I'm, you correct me if I'm wrong, most of your business, 4M business, is class A commercial, you know, class A offices, commercial retail space, banks, manufacturing, right? Like, and we, and so we do really, I'm going to keep it short. You know that we do healthcare. Mm hmm. We do. I'm just saying the majority, though. What's yeah, the majority you do? Probably 50-50, but okay. it's, all, it's all part-time. Let's just call uh, it part-time. Go ahead. Well, so I was just going to make the comparison against what I do, which is all healthcare. Mm-hmm. So all of my business is full-time days, whereas when I was working commercial cleaning, it was all part-time nights. We didn't do anything part full-time days. We, there was no full-time anything. It was all part-time. It started at you know 4 or 5 o'clock at night. And I cleaned houses for a while, but and so that was days, but that was, you know, traveling from house to house to house during the day. Mm-hmm. But most commercial cleaning, you know, traditional commercial cleaning mm-hmm. is at night. And so you're, mm-hmm. you're, you're familiar with the part-time model. 
Yeah. What I think that I'm struggling with and many of us in healthcare are struggling with is how to take that part-time model and make it work days when it's traditionally been full-time. Traditionally, you start a housekeeper at 7 a.m. till 3.30, 3 o'clock, whatever, in the afternoon, seven days a week. How do you split that up? How do you half it or is it, you know, now it's you're working two days and then somebody else is working two days and so all of a sudden you have five people to cover one week instead of one per, you know what I mean? Like it's just, yeah, it's a yeah. challenge. It gets challenging. Like I said, there are a couple different strategies. I don't, I don't think we have time to go into all of those. Uh, there are, but I think the point is, I think there's two things I would say, and I think you probably agree with me. Don't overcomplicate it. Don't get so customized and so creative that you can't sustain it because whatever you build has got to be sustainable, mm-hmm. right? But don't be afraid to explore. Creativity is, is, is a part of business. You know, be creative to, and think critically about how to be creative. There's science and art to everything we do. So, you know, but don't make it so complicated. You can't sustain it and lean out and try something. The worst thing that can happen is it doesn't work. Yeah, that's smart. And thank God for technology. Technology yeah. has been, yeah, especially in the cleaning industry. I mean, it is just yeah. from where we are today. You know, it's funny you were talking about taking the wax, setting it on fire. Taking a, a, bl- a wool blanket or whatever, putting it on the bottom of a side to side. We are a million years away from that. And, but we that's are. where I, that's how, what I was taught to do. I was yeah. like, we're doing, we're setting what on fire the floor. Okay. Right, 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 right. No, we are in what, and what I think is also being challenged by many of uh, the folks that are in our industry, like that we're being asked to do more with less production rates are through the roof. And it's a difficult challenge. Margins are shrinking as as wage inflation goes up and as people, and depending on the nature of where you're at, like occupancy levels and what's happening behind the business that's paying for those janitorial services. And it's an interesting time. And, you know, just as a person, I wish everybody the best of luck in it. I mean, we're all in the industry here and we all want to see people succeed. There's not a single, if you're a conglomerate to a privately owned mid-sized company to a small mom and pop, a small business, there's nobody that's not being affected right now by what's going on. And I just, you know, obviously wish everybody the best. Yeah, we've, um, how did you guys, how did you guys do during the pandemic? I mean, are you guys, did it hurt at all? Did you guys grow? I know a lot of companies grew during the pandemic. We were, you know, honestly, Ralph, we were tremendously blessed. We really had very successful couple years through it. And I think I'm grateful for the leaders that are in our company, the managers that are in company. We were able to respond. We struck gold during the period and we're, we're grateful for it. But we're also humble enough to know that maybe we were the lucky ones. And, you know, we just got to make sure that we don't get ahead of ourselves. And so, yeah, we did well and we're grateful for it. Yeah, that's good. Uh, there was a lot of, you know, if companies weren't diverse at all, like they just only had like, even I know companies that only cleaned medical office buildings and they went under, you know, because, no, you know, all offices were essentially closed and said, you can do this work from home. And, you know, even dentists yep. were shut down for a while. And that was it was really tough. So it was it was really like, you know, I work in, in healthcare. Like I said, we had the opposite problem. We had more work than we knew what to do with. We had no staff. You know, what we decided was, is, uh, you know, we are diverse. We are in several different vertical markets. We were really helpful. Yeah, yeah, very much. We were lucky. We're lucky enough not to be in retail. You know, that was a business decision many, many years ago, just kind of maybe fortuitous, lucky. I think we read the tea leaves and we avoided that. But we're in healthcare, we're in commercial, we're in education, the commercial being both corporate and multi-tenant. And it gave us a lot of diversity. But here's what I do know. When it hit, we doubled down got into strategic working groups and met on us on a weekly basis to keep pace so that we could be the advisor partner to the people that we serve. And when we did that and we were in it for the long term, there were a lot, there was a lot of crowding around disinfecting and some other stuff. We just were trying to be honest brokers about what our partners needed to do to provide a safe and health work environment. In some situations, we took significant sales contractions scale back labor, but we stayed in it for the long term. Others ramped up significantly. 
And we just bolted on it as advisor partner for their business and providing that safe health work environment. And, and actually, it's coming back in spades because now we've entrenched the, the, the partnership and the trust through a very difficult period of time. And now I think we're even better poised coming out of the, the pandemic when, when we do. I think that everything you just said kind of shows why you guys are so head and shoulders above a lot of other companies. Because in management, the whole focus is about serving your staff. Mm-hmm. When you're in a strategic ownership position or a strategic executive position, your focus is on serving your customer. Mm-hmm. And it sounds like you guys didn't drop the ball on either one. You guys just kept going, okay, how do we make this work for the customer? How do we make this work for the customer? How do we make this work for the customer? And then you know what happens? You know this. The customer starts thinking, wait, how do I make it work for them? How do I make it work for them? And then all of a sudden, if I'm thinking of how what's best for you and how to make you best successful, and you're wondering, you know, how do you take massive action to make me successful? I mean, yeah. in the end, we're all, we're all rising with the tide, you know? Yeah. I mean, it doesn't matter if you have 10 or 10,000 customers. What matters is that, that the one customer you're talking to at that moment is the only customer you have. And if you approach it that way and you look long-term, I mean, the bedrock of any service organization is the retention of your customer base. We like to call them partners because we, we want a lifelong partnership with them. Anybody that walks through our door and we bolt on to, we, we never want to lose them. Today, at 43 years of age, we still have our very first customer. We wish that we have kept every single one of them in the past. And that's our goal. And when you think long term, you're just only layering up your foundation as a great launch pad for growth. Our best salesperson for new business is our current customer. Of course. I mean, I'm preaching to the choir. Everybody knows that. But I think it's also, you know, during the pandemic, we doubled down on it. We said, hey, let's let's focus on our current customer. That's what we need to focus on. Yeah, that's really great. I'm a big fan of sales. I'm a big fan of being unique. So although I do appreciate and, and uh, believe in that, you know, providing a good service mm-hmm. is a definite way of growing. I also don't like relying on the voice of others. You know, mm-hmm. if, there'll be times where like, I'll tell a friend about you. Just give me your friend's number. I'll yeah, tell yeah, them exactly. about me. <laughs> no, I, I, I feel like, well then, Hey, can you provide the introduction? And that's right. That's right. Yeah. A, <laughs> yeah. yeah. I like trying to think really outside the box on how to, you know, how to get in front of people, how to get noticed. You know, that's one of the biggest challenges I have is getting noticed. Well, so what's interesting is don't ask for the sale, ask, you know, call for the action. Mm. You know, I mean, like if I'm not talking Glenn, Glenn, Gary, Glenn Ross, you know, ABC. Here we go. But I am saying like, you, you have know, the good leads. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no. I think that when you get, when you're really looking to grow your business, I think you, a couple things, know what you're good at. You know, core competencies matter. Like if somebody's listening to us right now and goes like, man, I need to diversify. Okay, cool. You know, set back, know what your core competencies are. What's giving you a competitive advantage? What's your unique selling position? And then, you know, don't overpromise. actually under promise and over deliver. And then when, when you get in that situation, we try and use verbs, which mean there's action behind them. You know, it's not, you know, to your point, hey, don't just say, hey, I'll call somebody. No, let's call somebody. Like, yes. like, let's call somebody. Let's get them on the phone, you know? And I think we often try and make things way too complicated, which is one of the reasons why I love housekeeping. You know, it's one of the reasons I love being a janitor. It's not a complicated business. And there's standardization. There's things you can do. There's efficiencies to be had. But it's not that crazy. You know, I mean, it's not a crazy, crazy business. What makes it more complicated is just that it's a people business. And I, I love people. And so I'm happy to do that all day. Yeah, I think I might have told this story recently on the show, but I, I had somebody reaching out to me and they were saying that they had a, a client who wants more laundry staff and they're asking for more FTEs and laundry and they don't know how to tell her or how to approach, you know, the owner that we can't add, you know, there's no money to add laundry staff. And I'm like, there's no administrator, no nursing home owner I've ever met who wanted to add more laundry staff. And they're like, I'm telling you, that's what they're saying. They want more laundry. Eh, they don't want a laundry problem. So they're saying, hey, maybe adding staff is the answer. It's just one solution of a hundred. 
That's right. That's but right. it's let's drill down to find out exactly what's going on here. It's not staffing sometimes is the answer. Right. But not always. We're not even drilling down to the actual question. Yeah. And you know, there, you and I both know there are so many inputs to the conversation about meeting expectations. <laughs> and in the end, that I, for me, that I, we firmly believe it for him that we try to keep our promises. If we say we're going to do something, we're going to do something. And if the customer is, is rendering us in a, in a relationship to solve their problems, which is what we do every day, we solve the ones that they know of, but we also solve plenty that they don't know of, right? What the housekeeper does that, that they don't know and what the housekeeper does to save their business and all that kind of stuff. Those are things we want to do. But in the end, it's just about mutual expectations. You know, are we meeting their expectations? And are we building the trust that they're like, man, I, I recommend Ralph all day long and twice on Tuesday. And I would never do my, my organization can't run without Ralph and what Ralph does. I got to tell you, I've lost, I've made some real bonehead decisions and it has lost me accounts. And I've lost accounts where I didn't even understand it. Like, mm-hmm. I don't understand why I'm losing this account, why they're canceling. And then I've lost account or, and then I've kept accounts where I was like, I don't know why they didn't cancel me. You know what I mean? Like is, yeah. you know, so, yeah, so yeah, yeah. I, I, I completely earned and, and others where I didn't, but I, I think the biggest lesson that I've been able to learn is from the accounts that I lost. I lost mm-hmm. an account once in nine days. Really? Think about that. Nine days. Wow. It took me months. I mean, to get an account, I mean, to build a relationship, to meet somebody, yep. to, you know, let them know what you do to explain the process, mm-hmm. to get them to buy in, you know, oh, the whole thing. It takes a lot of effort, a lot of time, a lot of, you know, knocking on doors and, hey, just here to, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. To get them to sign, we start the account and to lose it in nine days was the biggest lesson that I've ever learned. And, and the lesson is this. I forgot why they hired us. Yep. And I started to think that I knew better. And mm-hmm. it was here's a perfect example I, I'm sure you'd appreciate. I used to ask questions that I already had the answers to. I, we'd be going on a tour and I, they'd be showing me an area and I would go, how often is this area clean? And they'd go, oh, they get in here once a day, I think, maybe once every other day. And I would say, not when I get in here. They'd definitely be hit twice a day. I'm going to take care of that. Right. That's how I used to approach it. And right. I've learned that it's actually better to go, how often is this clean? And they go, once every other day. And here's the follow-up. Is that enough? Right. To them, not to me. Right. Because it. That's what. That's why I lost the count in nine days. I made it all about me, my expectations, my standards. Yep. And without even realizing it, rolled over my client. I literally was like, "Move out of the way, client. I'm right. in charge." Right. Like, who? What? Right. Who hired the monster? Like, right. Right. And you know, I think that not everybody starts in different places, and everybody's different. But here's what I would say: I don't care if you you're day one and owning your own company or you've been doing this for a hundred years and you're in your third generation, you know, the truth is, is if we don't stay with some blocking and tackling drills and remind ourselves in, in peer like relationships, which is what I've loved about this format today, because it's reinforcing for me a lot of things that I shouldn't forget. It's never about me. It's always about them. You know, one-on-one, listen, listen, what's the voice of the customer? You know, what's going on? What do they want? Because in the end, I'm there to provide them a service that they're willing to pay me for. Serve your customer. Yeah. Right? I mean, it goes right back to stepping on those little yellow footprints on the stupid pavement when you first get in the Marine Corps. Yeah. The first thing they're going to do is we talk, we actually say they take away yourself. Like they remove you, you know, they treat you really bad so that you get, you know, you're nothing. And then they build you up as a team. That's not what they do. They teach you that it is not about you. And as soon as you think it's about you, it's going to go sideways. Yep. So if you put your focus elsewhere, the mission, the other person, your buddy next to you, right? Your client, your, your employees, your wife, your kid, you put it on them. Mm -hmm. That's, Mm -hmm. that's what you learn. I I think that's what all of us learn as adults. You know, we get there. Yeah. You know, the the other thing too, I want to come back to word you used earlier, being humble. Because you got to know what you what you can and can't do. 
And I, I'll tell you, I was brand new in the business. And this is a bad example. I lost a customer because a customer said, hey, Mike, can you do this? And I went, heck, yeah, I can do that. No problem. Well, I can do that. I didn't assess my team's ability to do it. I put them in a really, really bad spot. I asked them to move heaven and earth. And guess what? They couldn't do it. What I should have said was, no, I can't. I should have said no. And I would, but I was so worried about not disappointing the customer that I, that I, 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 I got too confident. Oh yeah, we can do it. No. And when I should have just said, I'm sorry, I'm probably not the best person to do that right now. You know, I just don't have that capability. And so to your point, if I can't service the customer, if I'm, if I, if I'm really listening, I think you got to be humble enough to know what you're good at and what you're not good at. And if it's not a good for your business, don't take it because all you're going to wind up doing is wasting time and resources. You know? I love, and I'm not making this up. I mean, I'm not, no hyperbole. I love being the hero. And if you let me, I mm-hmm. will, you know, I will mm-hmm. try to be the hero even when I have no business yep. trying to scale that building or grab yep. that buffer or whatever it is. Right. You know, it sounds like maybe that's the same thing, right? Where you're just like, what? You want Maybe you asked me to do it. Of course I can do it. And then, you know, you fall flat in your house. You end up being a a zero instead of a hero. Well, I mean, if your bread and butter is 250,000 square foot commercial office space and you try and take on a corporate campus of 5 million, you're putting a bid on it and you just on the subject expertise and you get it. All you've done is damage your reputation. You've wasted resources, time, damage your reputation. If you're in senior living and that's what you do, be good at it. And then if you want to grow, there are ways to scale and there's other podcasts. I'm sure you can help them with that and some of the services that you offer, Ralph, on how to scale your business to be prepared to grow and make an investment, smart growth, smart investments in maybe some expertise that you need to come on to your organization and how do you kind of grow smartly. Because we all know there's a lot of people out there that have bit off more they can chew and it you know doesn't do you any good either. So know your limitations, be humble. Be good at what you do. Never forget you're in a service business. And I think you said it well, serve your customer. You know, when I was a kid, it's a terrible story, but it's a short one. I was was with some friends and we were throwing snowballs at a store. And we weren't really throwing at a store. I think we were kind of throwing at each other, which ended up maybe coming close to a car. Then a car would like the person got mad. And so we started throwing them at the car. And then we hit a window in a store and the store owner came out. And was very, very upset, obviously. Mm -hmm. And she basically chased us down the road and she was, you know, a broom in hand kind of thing. She was very upset at us. Fast forward, the next summer, spring, I go and apply for a job working at a store across the street from that store. That store had closed. What I didn't know is they had just moved across the street. (laughs) So that store closed at the same owner, same lady now in the other store. And I go in and she takes one look at me and she knows me. I have no idea who she is. She goes, wait a minute. Weren't you one of the kids who threw snowballs last winter and you broke my front window? And I was like, oh, no, you know, I wanted to say, no, it wasn't me. But, you know, I was like, I, I, I guess. All right. So I start leaving. She goes, where are you going? I go, well, I don't know what to do. She goes, apologize. Mm. I was like, what? She goes, say you're sorry. Mm. I'm like, I'm sorry. She goes, all right, come in here and fill out an application. She hired me. That's awesome. She taught me a huge, valuable lesson. You know what you do when you you make a big mistake, when you bite off more than you can chew, when you fall flat on your face? Own it. Yeah. Yeah. Even if we can't do business together, I want you to know that I recognize that I messed that up. It was my bad. I, I shouldn't have done it this way or that way. I shouldn't have said that or I. You know, whatever the, don't make excuses, own it. That's how you move on. Cause this business cleaning industry, it's humongous and small at the same time. Yeah. You know, Ralph, I, I, I know we're coming up on some time and I want to say this. I really want to thank you again before we go. And also just to kind of make a point, a short point, that just hearing the anecdotal stories that we've shared today reminds me um, I've got a lot to learn. No, you know, too, brother, <laughs> and 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 that some of the best lessons I've learned and I need to relearn every day are the ones I've already learned. So thanks, thanks for sharing on that. 
And that, you know, I'm, I'm just thinking like, as we've really shared a lot about what we think, how business is, it's, a, it's an adaptation every day. You know, l- learning is growing. It's a lifelong journey and I'm learning. I mean, we've had catastrophic success in Forum. I'm grateful and I'm blessed and we're blessed. And I, I'm so, so humbled by all of that. But it's different challenges scaling and growing and or pandemic or you know diversifying your organ whatever we're talking about we've talked about so much today i'm learning every day and more importantly i don't think we've said this enough it's not about you and me it's about the people that you surround yourself with i can guarantee you that mike fitz has really not made that much of an impact in 4m when when compared to all the great leaders and managers that are around me that have made me look exceptional because i've got a great team I know that I need great people around me that are going to overcome my weaknesses. And I really got to kind of give it to the other folks that are not on the screen that have made us successful because, uh, and that's I, I, talent is warfare. A good friend of mine told no me a question. That. No question. Yeah. I mean, thank, that's the difference. Yeah. Thank you. We are running up. So yeah. how do, I, I know you guys are hiring. I know you're in, yeah. in, in nearly every state in the union here. Yep. How, how do people apply? How do they get a hold of you? Is there a yeah, website? Sure. Is are you hiring? Are you recruiting right now? Is there a oh, special absolutely. position you're yeah. after? Or? Yeah. In, in Gangbusters, uh, it's pretty simple. 4-m.com, 4-m.com. And then uh, you can go on there. Hit us you up have like careers there. on there and everything? Oh, yeah. Is there like a job board? There's oh, a awesome. job board. There's oh, a whole perfect. career page. We're hiring like crazy. Absolutely, like, and not just not just senior level position or not entry level positions, all kinds of positions, and we'd love to have anybody that wants to join our team and join our exceptional family. I got to tell you that I know 4M pretty well, and I know the leadership and where you guys yep. all come yep. from. I've been pretty involved. I'm pretty excited about it. Your company is like again one of those companies where you can literally get in on the bottom, and you can run the place in a very short amount of time. There's so much growth opportunity. There's so many different places that you can, that you guys are looking for good leaders, good people who just, people who just, you know, a lot of times people are like confused what leadership and and management is. I'm going to tell you what it is. It's about accepting the idea of responsibility. Yep. I will be responsible. If you have the ability to be, if you have the ability, if you have the desire, you want to be responsible you want to grow and do do something good, not just for your community, but for yourself and family, 4M is the place to go. Well, thank you. Thank you for that. And we really appreciate that, Ralph. And it's been a pleasure getting to know you, learning from you and just having the relationship and what you do for our community, drawing attention to it, having a, a venue like this where people can come and seek ideas or hear great ideas or hear somebody. We're telling war stories here. We're yeah. telling war stories. <laughs> you got it. You got it. Thank you so much, Rob. You're welcome. Thank you. Don't go anywhere. That's it for us. The Housekeepers Podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in today. If you enjoyed today's program, make sure you check out 4M4-M.com. They're a really great company to work with. And please make sure you're sharing the podcast. Tell your new friends, writing reviews, making sure you're subscribing to the podcast. Find us on YouTube if you want to see all of our videos. They're on YouTube. Otherwise, they're live here on LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitch, Twitter, Facebook. We're everywhere going live today, but they're always, you can find them always on YouTube. Find us on YouTube. That's it for us. Mr. Michael Fitz, retired U.S. Marine. Very, uh, very happy to have a retired Marine on here with me. Very excited. That's it. Michael Fitz, Ralph Peterson. We'll see you guys later. That's it, the Housekeepers Podcast. Thank you so much for tuning into today's show. Keep in mind, the best way to ensure that you never miss an episode of the Housekeepers Podcast is by subscribing to the show and following us on social media. For those of you who are more visually stimulated, you can always watch us record the show live each week on LinkedIn, Facebook, and YouTube. In fact, we post all of our videos on YouTube, so make sure you are subscribing to our YouTube channel. If you love the show and you want to help us out, please consider writing a review and sharing the show with all your friends and families and colleagues. And if you are looking for more information about today's guest, all of their contact information and the links to their websites are in the show's notes. That's it. Until next time, this has been the cleanest hour in podcasting. I am Ralph Peterson, and I'll see you later.